0: Something I've heard about recently from a lot of other people, other clergy people, is often talk about and they share about and they're so excited about, is this thing called Camp Gladiator. Yeah. <laughs> if you have heard this, but it is, a, it is a, um, an intense workout regimen that people do usually early in the morning. I know people who do like a 5 a.m. class and they do that and they get up and they go to this and they do all sorts of... <laughs> Run in, tire things, and then, and then go work. <laughs> but they love it. They love it. They're so excited to share about it. They just, they, it's always like, when can you? When is there a pause in a conversation that you can enter in and like share? It's like, yes, I know. Great, good. You're you're looking great. Wonderful. Good for you. Um, but it just keeps on happening over and over again. And it's the same thing that's happened. You know, happens often with diets that, that come up. That like the whole thirty. The people are oftentimes so excited about sharing this like really intense and restrictive. Or something. Or a few years ago, for people I knew, it was CrossFit. It was this, you just got to wave the ropes around. Oh. But what, makes, what makes people so excited to share about these things? That is what I want us to think about today as to we finish up our series on the next person, on, on thinking about who is the next person we're going to share our faith with. Assuming that's not neither the first person or the last person um, who is... Who is the next person? And today we're going to talk about the almost Christian. But first, I wanna I want to go through this sp- strange passage from Acts that, that Jim read. And so this is uh, Peter has a really weird dream. I don't know about you, I've never had a dream where animals held a sheet. It's um. <laughs> a so it's an odd visual to have. This is in near the middle of Acts, and it's a very powerful moment. It's one of these moments where the early church is deciding what does it mean to be a Christian and where to, how far does God's mercy go? How far does God's mercy go? And oftentimes it's a passage that has been distorted in the past. It is a passage that has often um, been imbued with a lot of anti-Semitic tropes. And this assumption that the law itself is evil, um, that the law was not given by God instead of the distortions of the law. That The law given by Moses was a gift. It was a gift from God. And the way the way that people had distorted it over and over again. And I think that's what, what Peter is speaking to. That's what Jesus speaks to again and again. But we have this passage that Jim took with him. Um, no. This is, this is coming out. No, it's all right. It's all right. We don't have, no one say that to him. It's okay. <laughs> So it's like it begins somewhere like now in his, Peter's in Joppa and he's, he's, he's talked, asked like, well, what should we do? And basically the issue is, do you need to circumcise someone before they can become a Christian? Which is an important question, <laughs> but also that's a pretty high burden of, of growing the faith. It's a, it's a pretty big step for an adult to be circumcised um, in the household. And we can just leave it at there. But knowing <laughs> that that is, but it's also does God's mercy demand this? Do you need to take these steps in order to receive the mercy of God? And what, what Peter gets to is, at the end of the day, is no. But he begins with, he has this amazing vision of sheets and animals and all sorts of things and a voice from heaven. And he's like, by no means, mei genoito, which is a, a really Greek, it's pretty much a swear word in Greek. It's often translated as this nice, by no means, but... It's not a. It's not a. It's really not a church word. Um, but, and it's like, you know, imagine, you know, you're the biggest, the biggest Longhorn in the world, and someone says, like, you know, what if, what if you live the rest of your day in Kyle Field? And it's like, by no means. <laughs> this is. This goes against everything I've ever thought and believed. <laughs> but, but he's. He's, he's convinced and he's convicted in this, in this powerful moment, that his idea of what it meant to follow God was not big enough for God's grace. His idea of the mercy of God was not big enough for God's grace. And so at the end of the week, we're going to have the Aldersgate dinner. This week, we celebrate the 281st anniversary of Aldersgate. And it, it's very similar. This Peter's dream is very similar to what happened to John Wesley at Aldersgate. And I'm going to do something I've never really done before, and I'm going to share huge chunks from John Wesley's sermon called The Almost Christian. About, and this happened about three years after Aldersgate, but it still goes through his own transformation. His own realization that his God was too small. And he needed to expand what God meant for him. It begins in a very Wesleyan, extremely dry and boring fashion. (laughs) It's okay. You can laugh. That was, it really is. Like I remember, Vicky. Vicky's done with seminary, <laughs> and we would talk about Wesley sermons sometimes. And you just have to be honest with some of them are really boring, and that is okay. It's not not saying that they're bad or wrong. It's just they're not written in a very vigorous fashion. Um, it usually begins with two parts. Like in this sermon today, I will have two parts. The first part: what is implied in being almost. A Christian. The second, what is being an altogether Christian? Okay, so he starts there, and then it, it kind of it starts pretty strong. It's like okay, an, an almost Christian is honest and truthful. An honest, an almost Christian offers love and assistance and kindness. Extends themselves, feeds those who are hungry, shares food when they have extra, shares clothing when they have extra. As well, an almost Christian is, has a form of godliness. Does nothing which the gospel forbids. This is the almost Christian. Doesn't, doesn't curse her, their yes and is yes and their no is no. Does not suffer things to be profaned. Is not a, ta- a tattletale or a gossip. This is the almost Christian. Is not neither drunk or a glutton. Is not a drunkard or a glutton. This is the almost Christian. Is not cheap. Or lazy in their life. This is the almost Christian. Performs the means of grace. Feeds the hungry. Visits those who are sick and imprisoned. Cares for widows and orphans in their needs. This is the almost Christian. Praise. Praise often. Praise privately. Praise in groups. Praise in family. This is the almost Christian. Has a sincerity, a principle, an inward principle of religion. From whence these outward actions flow. And even quotes Epicurus in Latin. I'm not going to quote him in Latin. Um, But this, this verse of Epicurus. Good men avoid sin from the love of virtue. Wicked men avoid sin from a fear of punishment. Which seems very reasonable. But this is the almost Christian. Has sincerity of faith. And he goes on. Sincerity therefore is necessarily implied in the being almost a Christian. A real desire to serve God. A hearty desire to do God's will, it is necessarily implied that a person have a sincere view of pleasing God in all these things. This design, if any person be almost a Christian, runs through the whole tenor of their life. This is the moving principle, both in his doing good and abstaining from evil and using the ordinances of God. And then Wesley turns the searchlight inward. I did go thus far for many years, and many of this place can testify using diligence to eschew all evil and to have a good conscience, void of offense, redeeming the time, buying up every opportunity of doing all good to all people, constantly and carefully using all the public and all the private means of grace, endeavoring after a steady seriousness of behavior at all times and in all places, and God is my witness before whom I stand doing all this in sincerity, having a real design to serve God. you can you show the clip the next one? Okay, so this is a picture of John Wesley's journal um, it's in a code he invented that wasn't cracked until like 1978 by one of my, my, one of my teachers um, who was an interesting character but, um, so in this, in this diary Wesley keeps track of every 15 minutes of his life and so from the moment he wakes until he goes to sleep every day, he keeps track of what is the good he is doing, what is the wickedness he is doing, if he is following through. Um, and then at the end of the day, he goes back and check, gives himself a test. This is like um, state testing run amok. <laughs> but, so this is, but this was especially prominent before Aldersgate. And so this is what he's saying here. It's like, this is what I thought I needed to do. This is how I thought I needed to be For God to love me. I thought I needed to keep track of every 15 minutes and even small. What if I now keep track of every 5 minutes? Maybe that'll be better. Maybe if I cover and keep track of every 5 minutes of my mind and my faith and all the things I do, then I will receive God. I did all these things to please God. To fight the good fight. To lay hold of eternal life. Yet my own conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. That all this time I was but almost a Christian. So what is altogether a Christian? It may seem like simpler and cliched, but it's really powerful. And what he says and begins with is he says the altogether Christian is filled with the love of God. And the two laws that Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second, to love your neighbor as yourself. And it's so easy sometimes for us to see, well, of course, what if there was love with all those, those almost things, right? Wasn't there? You'd hope. And what Wesley does in this sermon is basically flips our expectations around that we cannot begin by the things that we do and thinking that we're going to get to love. Or we, and we cannot assume that when we do the good things and have the good desires, that they emerge out of love. He says, But, but supposing you had. Good desires. Do good desires make a Christian? By no means. Recognize that from Peter? He was he's alluding to that. It's how yeah, it's how Bible people swear. um, Unless they are brought to good effect. And he quotes this wonderful proverb: hell is paved with good intentions. This was being quoted in 1741. It has not helped us as a society. (laughs) We are still paving that road. The great question of all, then, still remains, is the love of God shed abroad in your heart? Can you cry out, My God and my all, do you desire nothing but him? Are you happy in God? Is he your glory, your delight, your crown of rejoicing? And is this commandment written in your heart that he who loves God loves his brother also? Do you then love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love every person, even your enemies, even the enemies of God? as your own soul, as Christ loved you. Yea, do you believe that Christ loves you and gave himself for you? Have you faith in his blood? Believe you, he is the Lamb of God that has taken away the sins of the world. And cast them as a stone into the depths of the sea. Does his spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? This is what happened to Wesley at Aldersgate in London, right down from St. Paul's Cathedral. Everybody has responds to God in different ways. Wesley was coming from his second, probably third prayer service of the day. He was already a priest, but he had to go. He went to St. Paul's Cathedral, went to evening prayer there, and then went to another They called a society house where there was a reading. And he quotes In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street, very unwillingly, where one was reading Luther's preface to the Epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. Saved me from the law of sin and death. Taken away my sins, even mine. Wesley ends his almost Christian sermon by saying, may we all thus experience what it is to be not almost only, but altogether Christians. Being justified freely by God's grace through this redemption that is in Jesus, knowing we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in hope of the glory of God and having the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given unto us. Transitioning from Wesley. (laughs) Love itself can be a vacuous term. It can be a, a hollow signifier filled with whatever we already do. Usually love is something that we want to be associated with. We like love. There's a lot of bumper stickers and placards about love everywhere. Oftentimes with good intention, but it's like, what does it really mean? That is, that is the key. That is the heart of it. When we say love, it is not usually the love exhibited by Jean Vanier, who founded L'Arche and dedicated his life to living in solidarity and offering dignity to the severely mentally handicapped and saying, you matter so much that I'm not going to serve you. You will serve me. We will serve together. We understand what love means by looking at the people who love in such a way that it can only come from Christ. We think we know what it means. So often, love is like what James says in his his epistle about hearing the word of God, that anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he says. We use the word love, we talk about it especially in places like this, and then we Blink, and we think about lunch. Or we blink, and we think about what's going to happen today, or if it's really going to rain tomorrow, like it said last week. It said it was going to rain last week all week, but it didn't. But is it going to rain this week? And pretty soon, we blink, and we forget what were we thinking about. Oh, maybe it's okay. Maybe that's what love is. It's just kind of being decent. in Christianity, God is not revealed in a book or a law, but a person, a person who loved who left for his disciples this last commandment this commandment i give to you love one another just as i have loved you so may you love one another this commandment in tole kainon didomi human hina agapate this commandment in tolein agapate agape love one another it is a um, imperative imperative. Do this. Love one another. And usually, what do you mean by love, Jesus? As I loved you. That's what I mean by love. In the Gospel Gospel of Luke, they have this question when Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Who is my neighbor? That is when he tells the parable of the good Samaritan. When we think about love, We shouldn't think about ways that justify and rationalize all the things we wanted to do anyway or just kind of get us off the hook. Or even make us think that we need to be like the almost Christian. Love does not make us have to work and keep records like this. It's doing the things of Jesus because of... Jesus loves us because you are loved. So are we being almost Christians here or altogether Christians? Or to put it another way, are we trying to be almost Christians? Is our goal. Would we be satisfied in our life of faith if we are like the almost Christian? Or are we trying to be altogether Christians? Are we seeking the love that justifies what we want to do anyway? Or are we seeking that love that transforms? That love that looks like the cruciform life of Jesus? If you don't have a love Of Christ worth sharing with the next person. Seek Christ. Seek Christ in studying the scriptures. Seek Christ in prayer. Seek Christ in conversations. If there is someone whose faith inspires you, tell them. Most of the time, the people in our lives whose faith inspires us, they don't realize it. And they probably inspire a lot of people. We need to tell them, share that. It's a source of encouragement. Talk to them. If there is someone whose life inspires you, read about them. Read about their stories. Read about their struggles. How God was with them. Not because they're better than you, but because God is so great. That is the amazing thing about the holy people. Once you read their stories, once you meet them, the important thing is not that they are better than you or they have some genetic tendency towards being good at things, it's that grace is open in their lives. We share what we think is good for us. That's what it comes down to. Have you tried that new restaurant on South Lamar? It's wonderful. That's sharing with people. I thought it was good. Maybe you think it was good too. We share what makes us feel whole and alive. We share what works. This is what white people share to me over and over again about Kemp Gladiator. I don't know what they think about my physical abilities. (laughs) But they felt like it has worked in their life. And they want to share that. That it has worked. That this change has happened. We share these kinds of things. And so, my friends, let us love one another. Us, starting here. Let us live a faith worth sharing. Let us pray for those changes that God has already made in our life. Help us to look back and to see those. Let us pray for future transformations, for a life lived with God's love shed abroad in our heart. Not lived like this, where faith and Christianity is not telling us what not to do, but showing us the love overflowing in our lives. That we don't fulfill the obligations of God out of duty, but because we can't keep it in anymore. Let us live a faith worth sharing. Let us be a place worth sharing about with the next person. May we not be almost Christians consumed only with ourselves. May we be altogether Christians overflowing with love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.